Hey everyone, it is Nick Bradley here, joined by my good friends, um, curator of microphones. <laughs> what? I'm not making, we'll do that again. I'm just thinking, I was thinking no, I was you can't, you can't, you can't dump it. Keep going. I don't know if we're say curator of microphones. Um, I was going to say compadre or something weird like that. But anyway, I'm here with Mark Drager. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Welcome to Scaleback. As we have said consistently for episodes one and two, this is this is the fun episode of the month, certainly on my show, where we have a a joy in talking about the world of business, stuff that's going on in our collective companies, and also have an opportunity to put a bit of narrative around the different things that are going on to help you with your business, finishing off, as always, with some questions from listeners. Are you suggesting... Are you suggesting that a normal episode of of your podcast isn't uh, a barrel of laughs? Well, no. So this is the of course, fun of course it's not it's serious stuff. I'm I'm trying oh. to get people to like sell their businesses for, for hundreds of millions of dollars. This, this, this is, is supposed not... to be fun, isn't it? Isn't it a giant game? Oh, that's not the theme of today. But thank okay. you for introducing a new theme, which could be the theme for <laughs> episode four for ne- next month. Next month. The theme of today's Scaleback episode is money. It is the money episode. And what great timing to talk about money because it is January, January 2023. And actually, before we press record, uh, good old, um, good old, you know, bar humbug Mark Drager was saying how, how depressing January is. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not depressing. What do you think? It's great. I, I wasn't suggesting that it was, it was depressing. I was being a realist and saying that, hey, Often, uh, B2B businesses, you know, they have a new budget and um, their clients may not want to move forward with spend immediately. They want to save it. Uh, Consumers are facing all of that credit card debt that's coming in and they're looking at their bills after Christmas and they're going, oh my goodness, and they have a hangover. But I wasn't saying we should be depressed. I was thinking, what can we do about it? And I I just said it's depressing because most people were like, don't drink alcohol and have like a dry January. Yeah, which I think is a good thing anyway. But yeah, um, it is actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is a point here. There is a point that, and maybe maybe it doesn't happen as much as it used to, but there was this whole idea that there's all the sales, there's Christmas, there's all this sort of stuff. People go and max out their credit cards and then they go into January with no money. And there's this thing about waiting for payday. So in, in the UK, you get paid monthly generally. You do? So, and, that's, and that's normally that's, like- That's you know, like people, a normal, that's a normal thing. You don't have the biweekly pay? No, no, that's a, that's more of a US thing. And maybe maybe it's a Canadian thing. It doesn't happen here. Everyone's paid monthly, normally around the first of the month or towards the end of the month. You just get, okay. Yeah, no, we get one, you get one, you get one. We get 26 no. pay periods every two weeks. No, huh. no, no, monthly so, pay, monthly pay. So are, yeah. your, are your mortgages and everything tied to monthly pay? You don't have- Everything a- is monthly pay. There's no, there's no, um, what you'd normally have is like direct debits set up in your account and you try and time it all so you've got some sort of cash flow management. So if you know you get paid, let's say on the 28th of the month, which is quite a common date, you'll have all your direct debits coming out around the first, second, third. I did not know that. Wow, so, what, a, so, what a, see, this is why it's the money episode, right? So yeah. I can educate the world on, on, on the different cultural things. That sounds, um, that sounds challenging though. I mean, because I mean, it, I guess it forces you to maybe be good with money. Cause if you run out on the 15th, you're not getting paid till the 28th. Here comes credit. Well, here, here's but- the thing. So when I used to be sort of employed back in the day, there was this thing about, they would bring 
the pay date forward in December. So you'd actually get paid a little bit earlier, but then you wouldn't get paid until the end of January, start of February. So there was this like six weeks, sometimes five, six weeks where people just didn't have any cash. So your joke around, oh, January can be, you know, depressing or whatever. In reality, people are hoarding because, you know, they're on, oh. you know, what do you call it? Pot noodle. <laughs> See, the benefit of the 26, uh, the 26 pay period. So every two weeks is that twice per year, your month actually has three pay periods. So, so every six months you get a bonus pay period. Uh, and if you tie your mortgage to it and your bills to it, it's called an accelerated mortgage because theoretically you have more payments that are made than if you were just paying once per month. So do you Uh, pay mortgage once a month or once every two weeks? Every two weeks, I get paid on a Thursday. Every every second Thursday is tip. I don't know if I, I'm pretty sure it's typical for people to get paid on Thursdays. Uh, so every second Thursday, I get Fridays here, and then Friday, um, and then well, they don't do it on the the Friday because theoretically, if something goes wrong, you have time with before the banks close to get things fixed. But um, Friday, all of my mortgage payments come out, and they're super super tiny because you just pay it every two weeks. Wow, so it's the opposite here. Like, well, in terms of, in terms of, <laughs> I don't of know the, if any of our listeners are like, <laughs> our minds are being blown right now. Yours and mine, and yeah, well, everyone listening. Depends where like, you're listening from. There's, pro- there's probably some. There's probably some dude in India or Sri Lanka who's going. Well, at least you get paid, guys, right? <laughs> oh <Aww. laughs> no, I no, I know. I have listeners in 130 countries, Mark, and I do get uh, the old LinkedIn message from someone, you know, you know, being, being quite serious about this stuff. So anyway, today, today the secret is to own your own business and then you can just dividend out whenever you want though. (laughs) The secret, the secret is to own your own business and then sell it and then not have to worry about money ever again. That's the secret, but we'll get to that later. So today is the money episode and timing is great because it is January, as we said beforehand, and we are going to cover some themes around scarcity and abundance, both I think in line with business as a, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, but also if, you know, just personally, personal finances. Now, just the caveat, so I don't get sued and Mark doesn't get sued. We are not financial advisors. We are not investment no, I, advisors. I, I, I think that should be clear. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if we have to say that. I think simply by the way we speak and the things we say, it should be pretty speak obvious yourself, that we're not. Mr. Drager, speak for yourself. And when we get into that that part of the uh, the conversation today, they'll understand maybe more of why you say that about yourself. Yeah. No. No. I'm, I listen. I, I I have no. I am not embarrassed at all by the fact that I uh, I am not super strategic with money. Okay, well, we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a sec. So, so what we're going to do first is just talk about stuff that's going on as usual around the world of business. There is a money theme through this as well, as we'll get into. But you are going to educate me first, Mr. Drager, on this whole FTX thing, um, Sam Bankman. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, yeah, and I, I kind of think I should know about this because it's up in social media, but I, I genuinely don't go into social media much and kind of read a lot of stuff. I don't read the news very much other than stuff that piques my interest. And I know this on the periphery, it's a big thing, right? Big yeah. case. But let's start at the beginning, give a bit of a summary. And what, what's actually happened here? So, like, do we want to go all the way back where, and, and again, well, some, I'm, some I'm, people may not know what's going on. I mean, we don't need, this okay. is not, a, but yeah, but what's, yeah, the, what's so, the general so theme? Sam Bankman Freed, uh, or uh, SBF, as he likes to be called, um, or has become known, uh, he met, um, I don't know. He's some kind of fancy mathematician dude or something. He was like really young. He was like really, really good at or numbers. Something like that. 
Right. He was really good at numbers. He got a job at one of these advanced um, at these advanced uh, uh, um, investment type people who build algorithms. Uh, he met uh, a woman, and they entered into a romantic relationship. But they decided to start this company together. Uh, if I really knew a lot about this, you'd know that I knew the company name. I don't remember. It starts with an A or something. Anyway, they start this company together. She goes on to become the CEO of that company as he starts uh, FTX. FTX is the company that really blows up and people start dumping money to it. It, it to my knowledge, gets about $8 billion in assets under management wow, over the course okay. of like two to three years. Uh, and it all starts to blow up uh, because in the back end, there's the FTX company and then there's this other company. When FTX started, they didn't have bank accounts. They didn't have service agreements. They didn't have anything. So people would wire money to this other company. And then the other company would hold the money uh, uh, on its books and then forward it to FTX. And the biggest issue is that basically FTX, to, to, to what's been revealed, uh, was had zero management, had zero um, oversight, they were running the company off of QuickBooks, an eight billion dollar company. Um, they were mismanaging because oh, wow. they were counting. They were counting <laughs> money on both companies' books. So, so the, the the company, the first company that would receive the money, had it on its books, and then FTX would have it on its books. They had uh, service agreements um, in terms of use, where there was a high risk type of user agreement, where FTX was allowed to access client funds and use client funds and lend it out which um, we believe made up about one to two billion dollars of the eight billion. But FTX treated all client funds under those terms of service, even though the clients didn't allow it. Uh, and behind the scenes, uh, everything was running through Slack. So, so finan financial, uh, financial assets were being approved through Slack. Uh, Sam Bankman frieds family, friends, and executives borrowed about $100 million dollars uh, of client funds to buy homes and houses. Uh, they were spending money like crazy. And then he was doing other things like issuing new types of funds, tokens, cryptocurrency. And then he would, uh, and then they would, FTX would buy it back to try and boost can I, the Can fund. I put something out there, right? Because again, yeah. genuinely, I have not looked into this, but, but I've heard on mess. the periphery. But you know what's interesting, right? And, and I've got this bit of a conspiracy theory thing, right? Yeah. I'm saying he didn't do these things. I'm sure there is lots of proof. You can you know, do data trails and all that. Wow. But you know how you've got this kind of unregulated philosophy, you know, kind of the sovereign thinking of things, right? Where, yeah. you know, we shouldn't have regulation. We shouldn't have governance, particularly when it comes to money. You know, people should have these different things. It should be almost like a socialist type of play where we trust each other, which is kind of, you know, the, the blockchain and crypto has elements of those, those pieces, right? The, the theory behind it. I kind of wonder if this is the perfect case for the banks to be able to kind of put up the poster boy of this dude. Oh, <laughs> say, no, 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 for sure. 100%. 100%. You need regulation. People... Look, if you don't have regulation. Yes. 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 So, but, but, but there, <laughs> there was some really strange stuff happening. For example, uh, FTX's number one competitor, Binance, Binance, I think it's called, um, you know, bought 20% of uh, Sam Bankman Fried's um, shares. And then later he wanted them back. So he used, it's alleged, about $2 billion of client money to buy back his shares. Um, where, you know, so, so 
all of this stuff happened. And basically, there was a run. When it was started to get revealed, there was a run on FTX. And then the other thing is FTX allowed um, people who were in the high risk category to withdraw their money at the same rate as the average user, where the average user's user agreement stated that FTX could not, it was dollar for dollar kind of guaranteed, right? Like yeah. if I gave FTX the money, the money would be sitting there. If I wanted my money back, I could get it back. So the high risk people started doing a run on, on, on pulling everything out and they treated it as first come first serve. So by the time that the, that the users who were low risk, who had this user agreement stating that the money should be sitting there, went to take it out, he said, there's no money. And, and so he is in a bit of trouble. And 100%, the institutional lenders, the institutional Wall Street people, the big business who owns all of the mass media and publications and controls the narrative, um, they were fine with kind of like holding him up as this awesome dude when everybody was making money. And now they are going to 100%. Um, he, is, he, he, he does not look good coming out of this. <laughs> it's an incredible story, though. I mean, it's definitely the biggest one I've heard break and certainly the most recent one around this stuff. Well, the guy, right. the guy who's CEO now, who's trying to audit everything, he was he he came in and cleaned up Enron. He's done a lot of this type of work. He said he's never seen a company ever operate with the lack of control that this did, including um, like huge, huge, multi-million-dollar uh, approvals on 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 um, expenses by text or by disappearing. Like by by disappearing Snapchat conversations, <laughs> there's like there's no records, there's there's no tracing. Again, everything <sighs> was on QuickBooks. <laughs> but this is you know, let's company. go back to let's go back to two thousand and eight, right? And and after the big sort of financial crash that happened then, there was a huge amount of regulation that was then put on all the financial institutions, right? And if you go back and you, you, know, you can still sort of trace back some of the news articles around that time where people were sort of doing their last sort of banker bonus lunch outs, <laughs> things like that. And then everything changed. I've got a lot of friends who work in financial services, as you know. So this is interesting that this, this has happened. Like, you know, because usually anything like this, if you're going to put your money into something, there has to be some level of um, governance or security that's backed somewhere. So a lot of the banks in the UK, you have a protection on the money you have in those banks since 2008. I forget the exact levels, but the point being is that, you know, they want to encourage money to still be in those those institutions for all the yeah. reasons why, you know, in terms of how it affects um, yeah, where we, interest where rates, we are, savings, it's, it's all that. It's your first $100,000 in any institution in a savings account. Um, is is government? Uh, it's something insured. similar to that. I can't remember the exact figure, but 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 here you've got this situation where it sounds like absolute wild west. Now, obviously, the guy's going to go down massively for this, which is fascinating. But what what does this what light does this shine on the whole crypto play? Does it what, I, what does it, what does it mean? I can't I can't answer that only because um, I have always been very skeptical of crypto. One, I don't really understand it. Um, and yeah, I don't really understand it. Um, and there's nothing tangible. I like to know that if I'm making money, it's because I've provided someone with a value exchange. And part of what, part of what people started pointing out with FTX and even with crypto uh, last summer is the fact that it is worth whatever everyone thinks it's worth. 
And, and they would argue very philosophically that that's how everything is, right? My home is only worth what, what, uh, what it's worth because everyone agrees that that's what it's worth. You know, the, the, the American dollar bill is only worth, and for our listeners, I'm holding up an American dollar bill, is only worth what we think it's worth because we all agree that it's worth that. That's what they said. And so for crypto and for, um, for FTX and for all of these other like tokens and all these things that, that, hey, this is an $8 billion company because everybody believes it's worth $8 billion. And if well, that's you want to make more in, money... That, that's the same in most valuations as well. But, but, and you that's know, true, but I like, I like to suggest that maybe we can make something or do something and provide a value. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you take that into and this is this is you know okay we're, we're, we've got we're all holding up cash here right money um very rarely do i get this out i've got this out because the cleaner's coming around the minute right so she likes cash probably i hope i hope no one from the um tax oh, is listening her majesty, anyway we'll, we'll put that down there. her majesty his his majesty whatever guess, his majesty right? we'll get into that in a sec. um but you know what's interesting right like you know you get paid right you you go and do some work for a client you get paid there's a number that's going to turn up into a bank account right you, you're not touching the money right? You're just yeah. seeing a number appear, right? And yeah. then you buy something. Now, more often you might get a service for that or whatever else, but you know, you don't really see the money. So, you know, I can go with, with the Bitcoin I've got in my account, I can go and buy a yacht if I wanted to, right? So I'm still buying something. I'm never going to see the Bitcoin, right? It's got a value to it, which money is also valued, remember, by uh, interest rates and the global economy. So why is it any different? Uh, it's not. At its simplest form, it's not. And I can get behind that. It's, it's when it starts like being like, when crypto becomes um, like these tokens and when it becomes uh, NFTs and when it goes from NFTs to these other things. And it's, you know, you know, the old saying that marketers ruin everything because they just take everything to the end. <laughs> aren't, aren't you a market? I am. I am. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that there. But yeah, but you know, it's like I was, I was thinking about this a little while ago when, because I've got two young daughters growing up and the thing they want for, for Christmas, right. Or birthdays or any of that sort of stuff is you know this thing called Ro robux or something like that like there's yeah, a yeah, for roblox the, roblox uh, the, yeah robux yeah this is the kind of currency yeah and then they go and buy basically skins know, and other things well yeah magic dodo birds and whatever whatever it is that's the tilda's thing at the moment and it's a it's a fake thing right it's a, it's a it's a thing that she's going to carry around in the game you know it's basically bits and and whatever else and it's cost real money <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's like an NFT. I mean, she's she gets a bit of value from it in the game, but it's really status. You know, to get the magic dodo is like huge. There's only one of them, and all this sort of thing. Well, I, I mean, so so my son plays Fortnite a lot, and we've had to have a lot of conversations around this, where I have to remind him, hey, we're spending real money to buy fake money, so that way you can buy different skins or different things that just look good. Now, interesting enough, uh, just last month, Epic Games. The publisher, the developer behind uh, Fortnite, got fined by the FCC half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars they were fined because uh, it was, I guess, proved uh, in court that they were um, manipulating children, breaking privacy laws, and getting them to spend more money on these fake things than they needed to. And I don't know if Epic Games is happy to pay half a billion dollar fine, but they can. <laughs> I'm sure, they, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they i'm sure they probably don't care <laughs> it's like yeah. you know because i see how much money we've spent in, in that in that sort of environment but i think you know what's interesting about talking about this and the whole ftx thing is for me where, where does regulation and governance start to have a have a role here 
Because, you know, there are going to be some people who are absolutely against it. And the whole attraction to some of this stuff is the fact that it hasn't got some of those. And, and you can say corrupt because they're proven to be corrupt systems around it. But then it opens up. Well, there's two things that have happened here from what you said, and this is my perception of it. You know, there is, there is definitely an element of taking liberties on, on what's available to you. And then there's just a whole lack of structure. You know, because yeah. I'm sure some of the stuff probably wasn't intentional, but because there was no structure, you can't control it, right? <laughs> and put those two things together, and there might be a little bit of greed in there and, and whatever, who knows. But put all that together, that's, that's not something I'd be putting my cash into. Uh, you know what? For me, I believe that there has to be uh, a, a lack of uh, a less, I don't even know what the term would be, the least amount of structure possible to encourage innovation and risk taking. And those who take the risks should gain the rewards, but enough structure to at least create a set of rules that people should play by. And I think people would argue that the existing laws or that there are laws, laws that, that do that. For example, FTX did this. And within the matter of two or three years, they built it up. It crumbled very, very quickly. And, uh, and those in charge are, are going through the court system now. <laughs> so, so yeah, we'll wait, we'll so wait and I see think, what I think happens there. To, yeah, I think it's fair to argue that that those who um, those who win based off of some of these things. Now, we all, I, I don't know if you'd agree, but I, I'd also suggest that there's a whole pool of people out there who move from um, win to win to win because because they're they're uh, you know the the extremely wealthy people behind the scenes who are pulling the strings. I'm not too much of a conspiracy theorist, but um, I, I think that there's a certain type of person who runs a certain type of business at a certain level who's just comfortable as you you know breaking the laws, doing what well, they need to do, making the money, paying the fines. Well, they're they're they're, they're usually diversified as well, so they're usually yeah. quite spread. And yeah. as a result of that, you know, any fluctuations around these sort of things don't have a massive material impact because they've got different things going on. So, you know, in, in, in some size, because these are high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals, it might, you know, scare, scare the, the, the normal person. But when you see what they've got floating around the places, it's nothing. And, and, you know, the thing I found to be true, certainly some of the people I've hung out in the private equity world, is they can have a massive loss and a massive gain on the same day. So it just neutralizes, right? You know, yeah. and so they're not attached and we're going to get into the emotion of money a little bit in a sec, but they're not attached to it that much because it's just simply numbers and numbers come and go and it is what it is. Well, uh, just real quick, moving on uh, a little bit, you know, earlier we, I held up, a, I held up uh, an American dollar and you have your British notes. Um, you know, this is the money episode, so it seems fitting that uh, you know, in cheery old England, as they say, you guys have a new monarch, right? So, so well, yeah, don't I'm you Australian. Have to replace... You forget this. I live here. Yeah. So, <laughs> King, so you're such you're such a nationalist when it comes to Australia. So. <laughs> I do like Australia. Well, we are. We we are. We we protect our borders. No, I'm joking. Um, yes. So, King Charles the Third, as he's now called. Yes. Um, has your, your got, king and my king, even as an Australian and a Canadian, our monarch, uh, our, our, our monarch our, has yes. now got a whole range of banknotes about to be launched. We say about to be launched; they're not going to be launched properly until uh, twenty twenty four, sort of mid twenty twenty four. But it does raise a question. 
as we're going through uh, different challenges with the economy, and if you did live in the UK at the moment, we've had some pretty full-on things happen recently in sort of succession, right? So we've got Brexit, which hasn't been, for me personally, hasn't been a great experience. Um, the promise was that it was going to be better for everyone, but everything's got more expensive. Anything that you try and import from, from the European Union has, has become more expensive. So you got that. Then we've had, you know, Prime Minister's literally jumping off the the roundabout left, right and centre. I think one lasted about a week or something like that. So I went to America and by the time I got <laughs> By the time back, you got back, it was a different Prime Minister again. <laughs> yeah, she was finished. That was it. She was done. Right. That's not good. The same, the same kind of time, we obviously had the Queen pass away, which is very, very sad because she held a lot of not not that I'm massively into the monarchy, but in terms of leadership and standards and stability and all these different things incredibly impressive i think one of the most impressive leadership um examples anywhere that you could ever see so that happens right so that's not cool so everyone starts to have you know feelings of uncertainty right and and because of that you know in relation to that we now need to change every bloody sign that had queen elizabeth on it right because yeah, she's but, everywhere but it's, but it's not even just signs right because it was er right er2 yeah it's, was a, like, it's a um, insignia or a symbol yeah like so she's on like the post office she's... the signs on on um all of the outfits on on everything right so here's my question right and it comes back to the banknotes yeah who pays for that you do no i don't say that Surely, surely there's the surely there's does. a slush fund sitting in buckingham palace for this wow, where they I plan mean, like, like planning every, for something every every country just is Here's what I want to know. Is there a single country out there in the in the developed world that isn't operating off of debt? You know, like like every single year, Canada Dubai? You know, has, a, has a deficit. <laughs> the UAE? I mean, okay, yeah, they have, they have I, oil, I, I, money. Listen, I, oil money. <laughs> I don't know this. I don't know this, but I certainly know that there are advantages to being there. It doesn't say I'm not. I'm not I don't think they're out there borrowing lots of money off other countries. I could be really wrong here. Someone can, someone correct me. Well, the US someone send me a note keeps, on LinkedIn. The U.S. keeps increasing the debt ceiling because they, they like, it's a ridiculous amount how much they outspend every single year versus what they take in. Uh, we have a deficit. And, you know, when we have in Canada, when we have a conservative government, they bring down the deficit and try to hit break even. But that doesn't pay off the national debt. And then when we have more of a liberal government, they tend to run up the deficit so that way they can provide more services. You know, I, I have to imagine in the UK, you, you, you operate on, on a deficit as well, no? Yeah, massive one. I don't know what it is, yeah. again, that the, the so, specific So who's number. going to pay for it? Future generations. <laughs> well, they've just increased corporation tax for entrepreneurs, or they're about to increase it. Oh, some coming yay, up this year. That, that, oh, should, that, should encourage, that should encourage risk-taking. <laughs> crazy isn't it then yeah. you've got all every other tax that just sits around here and um you know it's funny because i had um uh, john cordwell on my show recently he's a billionaire very famous uh, businessman here in the uk created a business that was you know called phones for you and i think his net worth is just under three billion pounds that's and a, he's that's very, a good number that, that, good feels, number. that feels like a good number to me <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, the other thing, he's going to give 70% of it away. He's already committed that to charities. And I kind of was thinking, oh, wow, that's awesome. But then, like, he's still got a billion bucks left. I mean, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's so spend 2.1. So, so, so 70% of, of 3 billion is what, 2.1 billion or something? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, it's a lot of money. He, um, he's parochial, though, about tax. He thinks, you know, paying tax is good and all this. And I, listen, I, I don't have an issue with, with paying taxes. I certainly don't have an issue if I'm getting the services or some level of service for a tax, right? So here, 
you know, if you if you don't have private health cover, you have the NHS here, you can get access to that. Um, we don't use the, the school system here. We, we put the girls through private school, which is great, but we're not using that. Um, going back to the health system, it's not fantastic, right? You can wait a long time to, to be seen for things. And so, so I, I look at it like this. So I'm going to be paying a lot more tax when you start to look at it in aggregate, particularly with how the businesses are growing, certainly the ones I have here in the UK. And I'm not really using as much of the services. Now, I don't mind making charity payments, right? <laughs> things, but I, I kind of like to be out of control where I, where I do that. So, and that's anyway. not the social agreement we've entered into. <laughs> you know, you, you pay your taxes for the fire service, even though your house doesn't burn down. You know, you, you pay your tax to the police service and to the hospital networks. And, uh, as I said, I don't mind. I don't mind paying for a, a percentage of that. I think that's. Well, but here's the fine. thing: it doesn't matter whether you mind paying for it or not. <laughs> They're going to. Well, take we it all regardless. have. We all have go, choices. Go, go play. Go play. Go play some. You know, the tax men by the Beatles. <laughs> well, we all we all have choices. They say you'll right, pay for have... the dollars on your eyes when you when you pass away, right? Well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Anyway. Where this started, this tangent of our money. Oh yeah, yeah, we're talking about the banknotes, <laughs> which is kind of the point. To be honest, there, there isn't really anything interesting to say other than who the hell's going to pay for it. Because if you have a look at it, you know, yeah, he looks absolutely stunning on all these different notes. I'm having a look at it here. Well, but here's here's the um, really it's, it's here's the, the really bananas thing. Boring right? like, bit of news <laughs> for 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 your lifetime, my lifetime, for for most people's lifetime, short of my maybe my grandfather who's 94. Um, you know, Queen Elizabeth was was our queen and monarch i mean my mum recalled me telling she, she at the time when we they had to stop singing god save the king and start singing god save the queen but like when did she become a monarch in in the 50s no it was i mean well she had oh god this is where i should know otherwise my wife would kill yeah. me but um she just had the 70th right she just had the 70th so so it must have must have been the 50s when it happened but she was very young yeah i mean she's yeah. been you know, she has been the center, if you like, of of that level of my point before stability for a long time. But but my point here is that is that King Charles uh, and I, I suppose we're supposed to say uh, long live the king. Hey, but but he is an older monarch who's taking the reign, which means theoretically in like another 10 or 20 years, you could be going through all this again. <laughs> right. Crazy, 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 crazy. OK, moving on. Okay. You Let's promised we... me, you promised me this would be an Elon free episode before did... we recorded. And yet I'm looking at the run sheet and it says Elon update. Yeah, I did. I know. Well, I thought, you know what we could do as a standing item because he's just so interesting. Um, we could always talk about Elon just for like a minute. Okay. <laughs> because, talk about Elon for a minute. What's because, you know, the reason I like it, I like the fact that, you know, in some cases, not that I'm this kind of Elon supporter, but it's like, you know, he buys businesses, he scales them, he he then sort of makes a lot of money out of them, or perceives certainly money. The, the valuations have been going up, even though we've got some some news around that. Um, and I just think it's fascinating the way that he that he controls things and does stuff. So that's why I think it's, you know, whether it's great leadership or not, it's certainly direct, right? It's, well, there's no let, ambiguity. Let me, let me ask you. So so the big thing right now is that Tesla shareholders are not too happy about the fact that he has quote unquote like erased. Um, a lot of the valuation within Tesla uh, while he's been caught up with with Twitter, but but even I saw I saw an, an article that said like even with the thirty or forty percent reduction in Tesla's valuation, it still um, has a valuation double that of like five other major uh, uh, car makers, including GM, Ford, uh, Volkswagen Group, and, and something else. 
Do you think this is a natural correction just because it was overvaluated? Or do you think, think this is really like he, he's getting into a mess because Twitter people are upset with him about stuff? It's, it's, it's invariably a combination of things. It's like, um, do you remember when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he yeah, was smoking yeah, marijuana he, and that, yeah. that affected the share price? There's always going to be people who, whenever you put yourself out there and you stand for and against something, right? You're going to have people who love you and people who hate you. And in this situation, he's kind of like a wave goes up and down. So it's kind of like if he says something that's, you know, more populist opinion or whatever else, the share price goes up. If he says something that's a little bit controversial, there are, there are a certain number of people who, who feel that there's risk now, like he's starting to act more risky. And remember any valuation is really an assessment of risk. You know what I think he's doing? <laughs> oh, this is like this is like I, I don't know if this stock. is intentional or not. <laughs> no, well, I mean, he sold he's he sold a lot of stock and he keeps selling more and more billions and billions of dollars. But um, I've seen I've seen uh, polls from Scott Galloway uh, that suggests that his um, that amongst liberals he has uh, he has completely tanked in terms of uh, popularity. But amongst conservatives, he's seen a huge boost, and everyone's saying. Hey, conservatives aren't aren't the people who buy green vehicles, so this is a bad business move. But I'm wondering because uh, U.S. conservatives, especially, seem to have this um, superhero, wild west type mentality. I'm wondering if he spots an opportunity to become the conservative hero, and then get them to start buying green vehicles because they're fast and they're cool and whatnot. And I'm wondering if he's like, I already got the liberals. I can stand to lose some of them. Let's win over these conservatives. Let's get them because green vehicle, electric vehicles are going to happen one way or another. And, you know, yeah, there's diesel and there's gas and there's big trucks and all these other things. But I'm wondering if he's trying to um, get conservatives to love him and therefore open up to Tesla and then sell more vehicles to them. So no, so no, I, I, I'd like to think he's strategic and all that sort of stuff, but I do wonder. <laughs> but, I, I, <laughs> you'd like yeah, to think that, he is. And, and maybe he's playing chess at a level that we can't see, or maybe He's just reacting emotionally, you're suggesting? Well, I think I think he's just like lots of people who have narcissistic tendencies, they just they just play their own game. And, you know, may, maybe he is playing a different game of chess, right? That's up there and he's an alien and all this sort of stuff that people say, right? Maybe that's true. But I, I just think that when someone has such um, confidence and conviction in certain things, whatever whether we agree with them or not they just take those actions like that, that the risk i think with someone like him is that he could he could do something which could absolutely um jeopardize if you like or or bring down what he's created as easily as he can create right so i think the thing we don't know and none of us you know because he's quite private on this so we don't know who's around him you know we don't know who's his mentor his advisors if he has got those people around him which are pulling some strings like you suggested, then that's very clever. And if we talk about, you know, the Twitter stuff just quickly, this whole, you know, the vote thing where he's now going to step down and he's going to bring in someone else to run the business, all this sort of stuff. That that to me feels more orchestrated than the point you made around the cars. Cause I think that's that's a playbook yeah. play. That's yeah, you like, suggested that actually last month, which was, yeah. hey, maybe he's coming in with a with a with a chainsaw as opposed to a, a carving <laughs> knife. And he's burning the thing down. He's going to take a lot of heat. And then he's going to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to hire this other person. And then they step in. And suddenly, 12, 18 months later, you have an extremely profitable social network. And he can go, look, I did it, guys. 
Well, it's yeah, and and again, we mentioned it last episode. He's done this before, and and the thing about the thing about culture, which people um, don't really understand or appreciate as much as they they should in any business, is it's a bit like the whole muscle. You've got to break the muscle down to build it back up. It's very very hard to change a culture by building on top of a culture, right? You have to rip array. You got to get to the core, and. I think in this situation, you know, we don't hear a lot about it, but there was very clearly a lot of apathy that was created within the whole Twitter, you know, leadership and team. And, and that meant that the business wasn't particularly valuable. There was a lot of decisions being made that weren't great decisions, which, which for me, again, my opinion, it looks like a distressed business, a distressed asset. So him going in there and thinking, well, actually, you know, the quickest way to turn around a distressed asset is to start to change the culture right? Get people thinking and operating differently with more urgency, with more precision, whatever that means. And that's what he's done, but there's no way he's then sustainable, right? But was he ever going to be, was he just going to go in there and do that and put someone in and then just be the shareholder? Who knows? I have to imagine that, um, the other major shareholders, which include, uh, um, people from, um, I'm not sure if it's from the Emirates or from Saudi Arabia, but um, I have to imagine that that the other people who have invested billions of dollars would like to see him succeed as well. <laughs> well, you're backing you're backing the person, right? It's a little bit like, you know, when you bring in the, the Tom Brady into the Tampa Bay. Could so you imagine that at a certain point they're like they're like, "Hey, Elon man, uh, do we got this?" And he's just like, "Don't worry, I got this." Like, I guarantee that that's, must be that's happening. happening. Right? But this is this is where I mean we we probably should look into this. You know, there, there must be I don't know a Vanity Fair article about who has who who Elon has around him. <laughs> you know, like who, what's his entourage look like? Because I'd love to know. I'd love to know if he surrounds himself with just some very very clever people who just hide away in the background. And he is the front guy. He makes those decisions. He has to be that. He has the the gravitas to be able to do it. But whether there is more let's call it structure and strategy behind it. I, I wonder, I don't know the answer here, but maybe again, a listener can tell us that maybe. or certainly send us to the Esquire or Vanity Fair article. Yeah. Oh. There will be one of those articles, right? You know, and there'll be some dude who's like super smart, who's been around for years. who's like the Yoda, the Yoda yeah. to Elon. Yeah. Like, like Henry Ford, when he built up his, his company, yeah. he had there'll, that, there'll be he something, had that integrator who, who like was the person who built up the uh, dealer network and insisted that they, that every single dealership held $20,000 or something worth of goods and that anyone who owned a Ford from anywhere could, could have service anywhere. And like, just, it was like the man behind the scenes. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that when um, Rockefeller built stuff up, he had the same thing. And so Elon must have someone. We shall see. Okay. Alrighty. So that's the world of business. Yay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, we've got some new notes with King Charles on it. <laughs> I like and, and future generations are paying for it. Yeah, anyway, moving on. So today we are going to talk in terms of advice, business advice, our perspectives, backwards and forwards, we are going to talk about scarcity and abundance. And you offered this up, I think, Mark, because you've been exploring this recently yourself. Um, yeah. And one of the things we spoke about recently when we got together in Florida was the idea that money is energy, nothing more, nothing less. So, so when you had mentioned that and, and it came up because we have some, um, you know, you, you have quite a network and I'm being introduced to some people in your network. And I was looking at some of the actions they took in terms of the team, in terms of uh, travel, in terms of investments. And I'm going, my goodness, like 
And, and you said, Mark, you have to understand that the way that you see money, the way that most people see money, these people don't see money this way. But every single person that, that looks at money in the way that you're about to share with us, they've gone from you know, bankrupt and sleeping in their car to running multi-million dollar businesses. They've gone from earning a few hundred thousand dollars per month to, to $10 million per month. And, and it so intrigued me that I, go to, I went to Google, I went to YouTube, I start to look up, how can I learn more about this? And, and there's crickets out there. there is, there's really nothing about this. And I'm, so I'm so intrigued to see whether I can flip a switch in my mind to move not only from scarcity to an abundance mindset, but, but to change my relationship with money as, as an investment tool uh, so that way we can move faster and build bigger things. Okay. So, I mean, this is something that I've, I've been on my own personal journey with too. It started off when I was younger because I wasn't in a family situation where, you know, we were wealthy. You know, we were, I didn't think we were middle class really. You know, there, there were a lot of different things that had happened when I was growing up. Uh, different life events, divorces, you know, people getting sick, all those sort of things, which which had constraints around people's ability to to really focus on on building wealth. So so I came from that environment of scarcity, where everything was about saving for a rainy day, you know, that kind of idea, uh, credit card debt. Um, there was a lot of, I think, trying to trying to sort of live in the now when that was just not a sensible decision. This idea of you get gratification um, immediately as opposed to waiting a bit and, and getting more, right? But, but those concepts just went around. So, so I had to kind of teach myself a little bit around this. Now, the key thing that made a difference for me, and it happened when I started to be around the private equity guys, the guys who have vast amounts of wealth, and a lot of the people don't come from previous money. Some do, of course. Uh, but the majority are self-made, uh, self-made in terms of, you know, they haven't, they haven't inherited it. Obviously, they have made it with the help of others, but they haven't had that sort of, that, that sort of initial piece, which can make it easier to build wealth from. And, and I started to learn that the relationship that these high net worth people had with money was not one of any emotional attachment, okay? The idea that, like we sort of touched on a little bit about numbers in a bank account. They're just simply numbers. They don't mean anything. If you've got lots of zeros in your bank account versus not very many, it's the same thing, right? From, from an emotional attachment perspective. Now, where people fall down, they go, yeah, but hold on, I can't put food on my table. I can't do this. I can't do that. Okay, well, there's a certain point here where, you know, there's a baseline level of need, right? If you go into like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, shelter, food, clothing, all of those sort of things need to be met. But most people, certainly in the Western world, have those things met. So we're not talking about that. You know, and I'm not definitely not talking about third world situations. That's a very different conversation. I'm talking about people who have reasonable lifestyles, but they're not going to go from that sort of position of being quite comfortable to being, let's call it extraordinarily wealthy, because their, their relationship with money from, from there is very, very clouded and confused. Okay. So, so I just want to be clear on that. We're definitely not talking about the person who can't put food on their table in, you know, somewhere in Johannesburg. We're not talking about that, right? That's a very different place. We're talking about the person who lives, you know, in a nice um, village or suburb. They have a car. It's probably on payments. They've got a house on a mortgage. They've got a job that's, you know, secure as it can be in the environment we're in. They, they want to be wealthy, right? They have the resources, 
but they're not getting there. We're talking about that. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. This is what I, what I tend to believe. If money is energy, right? And energy is one of the most important things that we all need to be able to do anything in life, right? To, to just to get out of bed and walk in the morning, certainly to build a business, to do whatever else. You have to realize that money is just simply a resource in the same way that, you know, having eating something, getting calories and giving you energy as a resource, it allows you to do something, right? Nothing more, nothing less than that. Where people fail, I think, in terms of how they utilize money to make more money is they get they don't back themselves and they become fearful or scared that the investment that they're going to make is not going to return. Because like, if I said to you, if, if you gave me a hundred grand and I, I taught you something and all you have to do is apply it, right? I'm going to give you all the tools. You just need to apply it. And, and that's going to get you to a million bucks in the next 12 months. And you had absolute certainty that that was, you know, the case. Why would you not do it? I, I, I would, <laughs> but, 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 but why but, I would but, go out, I would go out and borrow money to go and make that happen. Exa right? Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine, um, the other day, Walker Dybul, who, who does business acquisitions similar to me. And when he gets someone onto his programs, it's not just about this, but he says, you know, you have to be able to be able to access a hundred thousand dollars before we will let you in. Now the key word is access. Yeah. Not have. So he's really questioning someone's ability to be able to be resourceful enough to get that. And, and for me, I, I sort of think of it like this. Most people don't trust themselves enough and they, they put too much, they put money too much on a pedestal amongst everything else in their lives. Right. And that then creates this idea of, of because it's at such a high point, it's scarce. It's like the rarest of air. It's like, you know, some sort of oh. precious gem. You know, I've, right. I've, and, what? I was going to say, um, I think the best breakdown I've ever heard was that our relationship to money typically falls into three areas. So either you're going to use it for security, you're going to use it for status, or you're going to use it for service. And so when you say that people have this, they, they've emotionally detached themselves, uh, the high net worth individuals where, you know, there's just, it's just a tool. I believe that they're using it to serve them. Uh, I know that just looking at my wife, she tends to use money for status. I 100% use it for security. <laughs> you know, like I grew up in a family where such a traditional old school family, such a German European family where it's like, it's like pay, pay cash for things. Don't leverage debt. Don't have any debt. Like, well, that's you know, what my, I, I my was grandfather told me as well. I was mortgage free by 30 and I thought it was the greatest achievement in the world, right? That I could own my house outright. Now I bought a very modest home for my first home. And I worked super hard. And it was only later, and upon looking back at it now, where I'm like, maybe that isn't so bad, you know, because you just move so slowly when you pay cash for everything, when you own everything outright, when, you, when you're not taking advantage of anti, like, you know, I'm, I'm paying, I'm putting all this money into this asset that's after taxes and all these other things. But, but for me, it's like, I know that if I had, when I was growing up, if I just had $2,000 in my bank account, I could at least feel safe. And then it was like, if I could just have $5,000 in my bank account, if I could just have $10,000 in my bank account, if I could just have, um, you know, uh, $100,000 in my bank account, if I could just have $400,000 in my, like it just, the, the bar continued to go up, but I still never felt safe. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> that, I mean? but that's where you get into the mindset piece of money. So money, money in its own right was is is and wasn't or or where it is now the issue, right? In that situation, that's that's the relationship you have with the the idea of money, right? Yeah, so it doesn't matter how much like, you have. You, there'll never be another. There'll never be right number. Like you can say no. whatever you want because it's it's the it's the reason also why. And I you know I've I've studied this a little bit. It's the reason why when people win, you know, massive lottery things they give they give the money away like not to charity they just burn it and it's and it's all to do with um value and self-worth so one of the one of the most interesting quotes that was was um, told to me by a mentor is that money flows from the people who value it least to the people who value it most money flows from the people who value it least to the people who value it most okay but how do you define value value well, yeah. So if you think, if you think about it, money, money has the ability to multiply. Money has the ability to do lots of different things, right? If you, if you, if you don't value it, you waste it on things which don't give you any return, right? If you understand the law of money, right? And what if you value it so much, you just park it all as cash? Well, we, we're not really valuing it because you're not using it. You're not putting it to work. You're hiding it away. You're like, you're locking it in the closet. That's not, yeah. It's not value in terms of I know what you I know where you're going with this in terms of what's the definition of value. Well, the the value is something that you know you cherish, you use, you utilize, right? If you, if you go into the thing like you have to protect it, right? That's that's scarcity. Okay. No, no. I'm not asking because this is some kind of theoretical, philosophical conversation where I'm trying to be difficult. I'm trying to understand this because I think. I think there is this perception that the people who live paycheck to paycheck, who live off their credit cards, who are racking up um, all of this debt or what have you, and there, there's a large portion of people who live that way. But I also believe that there's a portion of people who live the way that I live, which is I am always worried that if I go ahead and spend, uh, if I make an investment in something that proves to be ineffective, that later when push comes to shove, I will need those dollars. And I'll go, why? Why did, I, why did I spend that money seven months ago on this one thing? And now my whole life is over. Like that's, that's the, the is that, fear. Has that happened? You know I mean? <laughs> has that happened to you? <laughs> you can't ask for, th- for a rational question like that. No, that hasn't happened because I'm very careful with money. So <laughs> well, it's there actually you an go. important question. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you my, my perspective a little bit on that as well. Because, and, and this is where I think there's two really important things that people have to understand. Certainly people listening from my opinion is like money, there are rules and laws of money, right? They, they are things that you can learn. Anybody can learn quite often. A lot of people don't have the right education around money. We certainly don't get it in school that I've seen. There are some new private schools, entrepreneurial schools that actually teach how money works. Like you have to understand compound interest. You have to understand these different things, right? It's not crazy. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to change your emotional relationship with money as we spoke about. So if you can understand the laws, right? And you can understand the different programming that you've had in your life, which changes your relationship with money, its importance or, or lack of, if you can work on those two things, you will create abundance and you'll create wealth. Now, if you add the other points that you made, which I think are really interesting, particularly around service, like a, a lot of the, the really um, ultra high net worth people I know don't think about money at all. They think about service all the time, right? And they do have that belief that if I serve enough people, 
I, I, you know, they have faith, right? And, and interestingly, a lot of them are also quite religious. The ones that are that I that I know, they have faith that if they if they serve, you know, at scale with depth, everything else they want, including money, will be part of that whole journey and experience for them. And I've seen that to be true, right? So there's a little bit here about you put money in its place. You understand what it's there. It's really just a symbol, maybe, of service. And then it changes again. That's one of the ways you can start to change that relationship. It's fascinating. This is a topic. I think it's a really big issue because, you know, back to the point I made beforehand around, you know, why do why with absolute weird consistency do people who win the lottery, usually the ones that are in a sort of a lower socioeconomic environment, why do they lose the hundreds of millions sometimes in a year? How is yeah, that possible? I, I know because it's it. It has to be um, a lack of exposure, a lack of ex- it, it just has to be a cultural makeup, right? Like if I won, if I won the lottery, which I don't play the lottery, but <laughs> so there you go. Um, but if I won the lottery, um, I think the first thing I would do is I'd be booking a call with a like one of the great financial planners. <laughs> I would say, "Hey, hey, I just uh, I just got fifty million dollars or whatever it is. Um, I w- go ahead and." Do what we need to do to see a to see a eight percent return year over year or whatever. Like I would just that's it. Well, well it's, like, but it's also sabotage. I mean, it's it's the same. You know that you know the concept of um, someone. You know, maybe they're back in school or university and they suddenly start dating the the prettiest guy girl in school, right? Whatever else, and and they don't think that they're worth it, right? What happens in that relationship generally? Uh, I imagine that it's it implodes because the person with the confidence looks at the person without confidence and just can't stand to be around them. Well, the other way round, but yes. So the, the 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 relationship implodes because the person the person who you know gets the 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 pretty girl or whatever else has so lack of their own self confidence, has so lack of their own self belief, they sabotage the relationship because they're often jealous because they don't ah, think they're worth it. Right. Now, if you if you pivot that into money, it's the same thing. So, right? so I just finished listening to Matthew Perry, the uh, actor from Friends. Oh, okay. I listened to his biography, and it's 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 heavy because it's basically a lot about addiction. But he talks about how he dated Julia Roberts at the height of her career and what a oh, romance wow. it was. <laughs> and then within eight months, uh, he broke up with her <laughs> simply because he he knew it would be coming. Exactly, we are talking about exactly what you're talking about he was so convinced that he was he was not worthy of julia roberts that he dumped her there you go but it's the same money money has this ability in the same way you know it is it is more emotional than it needs to be that's why i said about that detachment i mean i'll i'll kind of say a couple of things in terms of what you mentioned beforehand about investments so i've had situations where and actually probably over the last few years i've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on personal development, be that mentors, coaches, courses, whatever, right? Lots. And if I look at that in the round versus what I expected to get from those things, and certainly a few of them, if I looked at it like like, they they were not worth, they weren't worth the money. They weren't worth it, right? There's a couple in particular where when I went into these environments, paid 15, 20 grand, was nothing like I expected, right? Now, what a lot of people do is they live in that space and they and they they build up a resentment around that sort of thing and they live in this kind of like oh you know it doesn't work it doesn't work for me blah 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 they they become the victim now i had some coaching on this actually because as i said my environment wasn't like that 
And I remember reframing an investment a few years back now where I actually made from a, from a 15 to 20 grand investment, I ended up making about $200,000. And the actual experience of this thing was, was not good. What even now I would say it wasn't great, but the people that I met and the doors that opened from that, the return on investment was a 10 X. Now, if I look at all the money I've spent over the time and, and, and how I've changed my career and trajectory and all that sort of thing, it's similar. But here's the, here's the difference. Had I not have probably started to think about money differently because of my background, I wouldn't have got to that place. And maybe, right, maybe I would have stopped at the first couple of challenging things. I remember, you know, when I first bought, as a while back now, I first bought a Tony Robbins tape for $300. I almost like fell off my chair. Like, oh my God, $300 on what? Like, you know, and I'd spend that every second day right now on different things that I buy like you like for, for personal development for those sort of things. So, so the point I'm making here is once you start to change your relationship with money and you see it differently, you see the value equation differently, right? And you back yourself and you get more confidence from repeated actions that start to show results. That's how you start to change that relationship. Certainly from what I have done. Uh, listeners, the other thing you can do is go uh, become friends with Nick Bradley. And then anytime you have a question, just ask him. <laughs> I forgot we're recording a show here, Mark, aren't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Hi, everyone. To, Welcome to the I Money Issue. To, I used to joke because my friend Evan Carmichael, people would um, people would text me and ask me like, "Hey, how do you how do you um, you know get Evan to answer this question or that question or help you in this way?" I say, "Build a time machine, go back to 2006, become friends with him." <laughs> and then, no, your network is everything, guys. <laughs> oh, well, I, I'll give you a, a quick example of a couple of people we both know. So Rohan, who who you know, and um, and Kiala, who's a who's a friend of mine. I mean, Kiala was one of these guys who was literally a few years ago living in his car in like a, a huge amount of debt, and now his business has done over fifty million in the space of I think five to seven years, something like that. And if you ask him about what happened then, it's, it was, it was the two things I said, he had to learn some new things. Uh, the mindset piece was a big thing for him as well. It was really a lot about self-belief. The thing he said that really struck me is he kind of forgot about the outcome, right? Both from being in debt and also as he started to make money and just focused on what he did every single day the actions that he took every single day as he starts to learn new things. So, so one way of detaching from any emotions you may have around money is just to focus as, as much in the present as possible, even if that means to the minute, to the, to the half hour, to the hour and take actions, which are progressing you forward. If you know what to do and you don't let yourself get too confused around the edges, that can be a way. And then eventually you start to see the results, but again, you're not thinking too far ahead around that. So but, but think a little bit more far ahead than maybe Sam Bankman-Fried thought. Yeah, let's not do what he did. Well, actually, you know, he, he obviously had a good time for a while. I think he, <laughs> at the expense of everyone else anyway. So there we go. So that's, 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 I think, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about scarcity to abundance. I think in business, it's an important consideration too, because I think, you know, if you have a business and I see this happen all the time, people have got seven figure businesses, eight figures, and they've got a heap of cash and they're, they're stockpiling the cash, right? And they're going to have to either, you know, sell the company, liquidate or do something clever to take the cash out at some point. But, you know, my view is you should be looking at investments. You're going to get, you know, tax breaks on the investments anyway, right? So there are things, but people don't understand these different laws, these different rules. And sometimes people get kind of frustrated because they're not growing quickly enough. 
Well, quite often it's because they're not leveraging the resources that they have around that. And that normally comes back to how they're leveraging their cash and their investments. Well, that takes us perfectly to the next. We're, we're going to get into a few listener questions. Uh, but before we actually get into our listener questions, I had a question for you, which is how much cash do you keep on hand or in your war chest in a company? So, I mean, that, that perfectly mm -hmm. takes us to there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, okay, like so, I've, so <laughs> I've always been told like, you know, keep three months, keep six months, keep nine months of runway. As I mentioned, like at one point um, I had, I had a lot of cash on hand and I thought it wasn't serving me. And then the pandemic happened and guess what? I was able to ride for two to three, three years of runway off of the cash we had on hand. And, and while everyone else seemed to be on such a razor's edge that businesses are closing left, right, and center. So at a certain point, I was saving for the end of the world. The end of the world came and I survived. Well, lucky, lucky Mark Drager. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, it's a really, it's a really important point um, because a lot of people around that time, and I was kind of doing some mainly scale-up coaching, I suppose, back then, uh, a lot of people just, just ran out of runway. You know, they didn't even have three months of reserves in their in their bank account, and and they had to rely on the government loans that happened globally around that sort of thing. Um, the other contrast to that, I, I I spent some time recently with Grant Cardone, and he has this mantra, which is, no cash. Like you can't have any cash. If you've got cash, you're not putting it to work, and you should be you should literally be zero cash. And I'm like, that's not that's not really me. We joke, we joke beforehand because, you know, you've got to be able to have enough cash in your business. And this is the same for personal life that actually meets uh, the level of security that's going to keep you feeling like you're not kind of absolutely, you know, out on a limb. Right. So, so what I found to be true is if, if you have too much fear, in other words, you're, you're worrying that you've only got a month's left of cash before you I don't know, have to walk out and be homeless or something ridiculous. Um, then that's not going to serve you because it's a little bit like the fear is just going to be all consuming. Equally, if you have too much cash, you're probably not leveraging enough, right? And, you know, within the, within the pandemic, there were people I met like you, Mark, who had a lot of cash. They could have actually really doubled down in the pandemic because a lot of people weren't in your situation. Things were cheaper, actually. Different resources were cheaper. There was different ways of accessing resources. And the ones who were more bullish about that in terms of their mindset scaled more quickly over that sort of two, three year period. But the answer to your question, you know, for me is I personally like to have around about six months of cash. Personally. Access, access to six months of cash or six months cash on hand? Uh, no, six months cash on hand. So I have it like I could, I could, you know, I've got a little bit more now because we're about to make some investments. So I deliberately sold some, some assets. So, so, but if I went to um, a bank, my bank or whatever else, you know, I could draw out six months of cash at any one time. Well, easily, like it's there. It's not like I have to go and ask someone for it. It's not, you know, in some sort of stock somewhere and things like that. Okay, cool. That's my personal thing. But, you know, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I, I do think that if you, if you haven't got the ability to go and get money elsewhere, leverage debt or whatever else, and something like the pandemic happens, you've got to ask yourself, what are you going to do? Like whatever the answer is, if you can't answer that question, then that's not good. Hmm. So we have two questions from listeners uh, that came in through LinkedIn, I believe, Nick, to your account. Yeah, one was uh, the, Facebook and one was LinkedIn. Oh, fantastic. We have Jody from Australia. Uh, what, I, I have the summary of the question. What's Jody's question? 
Yeah, so Jody Millward, she said, what should you do about building a personal brand versus a company brand? And the context of that is she wants to build an asset she can sell. Okay, so um, actually you answer it first. I know my answer. You must know the answer now, Mark. We've hung out a long, long time. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so this, <laughs> this is an excellent question for Mark Drager. I love how assumptive it is where you're like, I know the answer. Mark, you must know that you, you must know my take on this uh, because my answer is the right one. Actually, it'd be quite interesting. <laughs> I know that was quite arrogant, wasn't it? Anyway, you know, <laughs> you've known it. me long enough to be able to like, you know, my, my level of belief is good. Um, how would you answer that, Mark Drager? Here, here's the way that I would answer it, uh, that your personal brand is the thing that you take with you for the rest of your life. You are the product. You are the brand. You are the name. Like Elon Musk moves from uh, you know one company to the next company, the next company, uh, while his assets may come and go and other people may be involved. And so if you are building uh, your company to be sold, I would build both. I would build the personal brand because the personal brand is the thing that will attract your network. It's the thing that uh, that you will leverage when you exit this company and move on to the next one. And people like people better than company brands. So in the marketplace, people will just like you better. And and the spillover effect is the fact that when you have the personal brand, people will love you. They will learn from you. They will want to be like you. And then they will be introduced to your company brand. But you also want your company brand to be built so that way it can be spun off. It can be acquired by someone else without having to sell your name. So my answer is not which one, it's both, and then leverage them based off of the leverage them against each other. Very good. <laughs> is that so, the answer? It is the answer. Well, there's a there's a there's a distinction, I think, to it, which is important. Um, the same. So you, you, having both makes a massive difference, right? Having having having, but it's about being intentional about that. So, so what I often say is, um, if you're going to build a personal brand and a company or company brand, just distinguish the two, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to be the person who runs the company brand. So if you're like, you know, the whole Elon thing is quite interesting here with Tesla. Like he doesn't really run the company. Like he could sell the company. Uh, he's got people there who are presidents and it's probably he's got a CEO and I don't know, but he's, he'll have people in there. So if you're going to do that, don't make yourself so attached to the operation of the company. Be the figurehead, be the person who kind of evangelizes it, but don't pay, don't make yourself in the operation. If, if you want to sell, I mean, like if we look at something like Bob's Red Mill, which is this uh, great company out of the US that makes different flowers and products and baking goods and stuff, Bob and his wife are pretty tied to the brand, but I don't think they have any plans to sell. So um, that's the that's the other thing. Yeah, you know, it, is, Jerry, it is a, it is sold, a decision. Ben and it Jerry decision. sold the ice cream, right? So um, I would I would just build out both of them. Cool. Okay, next one we have. Uh, we got Brad from yep. uh, Texas, from, from Texas. Austin. Cool. Um, what would be the uh, his question? Let me just summarize it because it's longer. Um, what, what would be basically the target net profit you'd be looking to maintain in your business for an appealing exit? So what target net profit would, would he want to hit in his business for the appealing exit? Okay, so so I'll try not to be overly technical here. It's actually, there is a precise answer to this and it is very much dependent on the industry that the business exists in. So one of the things that's really important to understand is that when you sell a company, um, be it to a private equity firm or a strategic buyer, the way that they'll assess the value of your business is based on the range of multiples 
that are already existing in your market. So there'll be businesses that are transacting or have transacted and they'll be sold for a multiple of usually profit, right? Now, when someone goes and assesses the value, they also look at the profit range. There's different gaps in businesses. So this profit gap is the gap that you have of your current profitability versus best in class in your industry, also versus worst in class in your industry. And so what that basically means is, let's say you've got a net profit of, um, we'll do it by margin actually. So let's say your margin, your profit margin is 10%, but there are businesses in your industry that are achieving 20% or 25%. And there are businesses in your industry that are achieving 5%. So you're kind of at the bottom part of it, like the bottom third, your business is going to be a lot lower valued than the ones that are sitting up the top. And the reason for that, the reason for that is because those businesses in the same industry have worked out a model, a method to be more profitable. So therefore they are more valuable. So the target net profit in your business to answer the question is dependent on the other businesses in your industry. And you should be targeting to be in the top sort of quartile, that top 25%. Can I ask what's probably a stupid question? No. If you're, if you're in the bottom third of, of net profit, would someone not look at you as like, Hey, this is a this is an asset that I should buy because I know I can get it up to twenty or twenty five percent. Is there is it not more valuable for someone to purchase when it's underperforming? No, because I'm I'm going to buy for the value. I'm going to buy based on the performance of the business at that point in time. Now, what I can do with it afterwards, which is called synergistic value, is none of your business. Ah, so you know, but, but, to make but the I point. guess what I'm asking is, it may be more appealing, but it would come at a lower valuation. So the, the thing that private equity does well, and I can talk about it from that lens, is we buy assets at the right price, meaning we buy them cheap, and we put talent into businesses aligned with value creation. They're the only two things we do, right? There's nothing else. People talk about buying businesses and bolting them together and all this stuff, but they're the only two things we do. So remember, if we see a business like you described, it's it's got some really good things about it, but it's not very profitable. There's a point in time if it's, if it's very unprofitable, we may, we may not buy it. But if it's not performing well, we're just going to pay lower, knowing that we're going to get a massive upside when we when we bring in the right talent and operationalize that business. And there's no situation in that where where a bunch of people look at this underperforming asset and, and start to bid over it because they all want the opportunity to fix it. Well, anytime a business is not performing, it has higher levels of risk. That's why you'll get a lower uh, valuation. Okay. Where, where you might do that, and I've seen this happen, let's say, for example, I already own a business and I want to buy other businesses and bolt them into my machine and my core business, my platform business is performing really well, then of course, buying a distressed asset to bring into my leadership team who's doing really well in the business that I have, that's great. But then I'm just buying the asset. I'm not really buying the business. I think for Brad here, you know, I don't like businesses. I, all of my businesses do around 20, 25% or more of profit margin, but I'm in the service industry. You can have businesses that are selling widgets in manufacturing and a great profit margins 5% because the volume yeah, so high. Or if you're in, or if you're in grocery. If you're in the grocery yeah, industry, precisely. You know, you've got tiny margins, but you've got huge volume. So, so really the, the answer for Brad is go out there and do some research on the market that you're in and work out whether your current profit margin is good, you know, or mediocre, best in class, see where it sits in the range. Okay. Now, if you have a question for an upcoming episode, uh, what do people do, Nick? They, well, LinkedIn, well, LinkedIn or, or Facebook, it seems now, but LinkedIn's the best one. So reach out to my um, LinkedIn, send me a private message, a private DM. 
Uh, my team will pick that up. We have we usually have time for about two or three questions per episode, so we've got a few that are coming in. But yeah, listen, anything that you want help with business wise, um, and also actually, just so before we, if anyone knows about um, Elon's entourage, <laughs> that could be when we when we do the Elon update next month. Um, it'd be good to it'd be good something to know. Like, and, and maybe you are part of Elon's entourage, and you can join us for a quick. 15 minute oh, interview. Yeah, we'll have you on. We'll have you on. <laughs> Imagine that. that. That that'd be that'd be like a, an interview within Scaleback. Wow, innovation at its <laughs> at its core. And as I called you the curator of microphones, I don't know why I said that. I'm, I'm, I'm regretting that for I'm the so whole hour. We, I'm so glad we've kept that in now. <laughs> uh, it's one of those ones where you kind of you've got this build up for the introduction, then you think, what the hell are you thinking about? Anyway, it is what it is. Okay, Mr. Drager, we are finished. Um, I hope as we start 2023, the beginning of the year, the first month, I hope you have a fantastic year. I hope you get some let's momentum some in this first month. Let's go make let's, some money, guys. Let's go make some money. We've fixed everyone's mindset issues now, so let's go and do it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, everyone. See you soon. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, Click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.